welcome, uh, the Christ community. Welcome back. If this is your first time uh, back with us since we've uh, had in-person services, we're so glad that you are here this morning and that you're back with us in person. Of course, we have lots of folks joining us uh, online today on our online service, so they're a part of that community. And also, if this is just your first time with us as a, a new guest, this is your first time at Christ community. Um, or maybe you've been in, checking us out on our online services, but your first time being here. We're just so glad that you're here with us this morning and uh, being a part of this together. We are in the last uh, message of a, a short series we've been doing in Romans chapter 12 on how we change. And so uh, I'm going to pray here in just a moment as we uh, look at this final part of this series. And then we're going to be going on to uh, Revelation uh, starting next week. So look forward to that. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you... Um, Again, always just we treasure your word. Thank you for the gift of it. Thank you for uh, inspiring it, preserving it, um, allowing it to be uh, translated and printed uh, for us that we have the privilege of, of having the Bible in our own language so easily accessible to us. It's an incredible gift. So I pray now as we take a closer look at this part of your word that you would speak uh, to us uh, afresh, anew uh, through your spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was uh, 19 years ago uh, this fall that I showed up in Kansas City for the first time. I was uh, moving here to go to Calvary Bible College to study what it would mean to become a pastor. And I remember showing up there in August and uh, moving into the dorm and getting my textbooks and sort of anxiously awaiting meeting my professors and classmates. And I was thinking that, you know, as I stepped into that time, that the most important part of those years of college were going to be the times in the classroom, right? The, the learning that was going to take place in the library, reading the books, studying, writing papers. That's why I come there to do that kind of left brain, slow track, uh, cognitive learning. Um, but little did I know that the dorm room and the cafeteria that those would have as much uh, influence on who I was going to become as a pastor as anything that I did in the classroom or the library. In my first two weeks living in the dorm, I met two uh, men, Tim Erickson and John Chadbourne. Actually, I think I have a picture of us here. So this is actually our, our graduation party. We all, we all dressed alike for the party. You can see, we, hopefully we're, we've started to grow in our fashion sensibilities a little bit. But uh, that Tim and John, and I still text them, email them, talk to them regularly. They became uh, fast friends. Within the first week of college, we became inseparable. And uh, there's lots of nicknames that we had from Three Stooges to the Triumvirate to whatever. But we were, we were fast friends all through college. And through that time, my relationship with them, my friendship with them, the conversations the trips, the experiences that we had together, they formed me, shaped me as much as learning the original languages or studying theology. My older brother died earlier this year. I was at the funeral. Uh, when John found out he was going to take on the senior pastor role at the church that he was pastoring in the middle of this COVID pandemic, Tim and I were there with him on the phone, talking through, helping him plan and think and pray together. You know, these men know my faults, my failings, my strengths, my weaknesses, just about as well as any human being on this planet. And they still love me. And, they lo and our love for one another, our relationship, our friendship has changed us. 
Uh, do you have friends like that in your life? I hope you do. I hope that you've had that experience uh, at some point in your life of having friendships like that. And, and whether or not you have, I suspect that for all of us, somewhere deep down inside of us is a desire for that kind of relationship, that kind of friendship. You know, even if we've been hurt, even if we feel like, Man, I'm just so bad at making friends, or I have a really hard time sustaining relationships, I, I have a really hard time feeling like I belong in a group, e- even if you've tried to shut it down or ignore it, I think all of us have within us a desire for that kind of relationship, that kind of friendship, that kind of community. And, and it's not an accident that we have that. It's there by design, and these relationships are key if we want to change over time. And I think sometimes when it comes to changing who we are, our character, our habits, um, how we interact, the ways that we sort of embody the the vision of of community and character that Paul lays out in these verses that we just heard read, we, we wish there was sort of a miracle drug that we could just take it and, you know, instantly we would be formed like the passage describes. But it doesn't work like that. Because here's the bottom line for this morning. Is that change takes time with others. It doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen alone. Again, the verses that we heard read for us, they're a picture of community doing these things together. They're all things that you do together with other people or in response to other people. Change takes time with others. And in this final message of the We Can Change series, when we've been looking at Romans 12 with fresh eyes, trying to understand sort of how our sort of cultural bias for that left brain, slow track cognition um, has left us sort of half-brained as Christians, that we, we think, well, change just comes through me getting more information, comes through me more exercising more willpower. But no, we were discovering more and more and more that actually it's being loved, it's belonging, it's relationships, this imagination, our right brain, this relational connection at the speed of joy that really begins to change. It's not that information and willpower aren't an important part of the process, they are, but they're not enough by themselves to grow us into Christ-likeness. So in this final message, we want to get a, a really practical, this is going to be a really practical message on how do we do this together? Kind of putting together all the, the pieces from the last four weeks, and then how do we do this together? And so that's what, in a way, Paul is doing here in Romans 12. In the first part of the passage, he lays out this idea of having a renewed mind. Not, and again, our whole minds, right and left, are the totality of our, our thinking renewed, offering our bodies as living sacrifices. And then he develops the metaphor of the body further, right? He talks about the, the body of Christ and the different members and the different gifts. And Taylor preached on that, how each one of us who's filled with the Spirit— who's been gifted by the Spirit, has something to offer the community. That you have something that I need, I have something that you need together. So there's this interdependency of the body metaphor that Paul unpacks in Romans 12. And then last week, we looked at what Paul identifies as kind of the barrier to change, the shipwrecking of change, this kind of idea of thinking too highly of ourselves, this pride that blinds us to areas we need to change, that cuts us off from being able to receive the gift of of encouragement and correction from others. He talks to us, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but, but think of yourself in line with the gospel. Okay, so that's where we've been in the series. 
And now we're going to sort of start putting it together. In verses 9 through 12, Paul gets really practical on how does this community of believers love one another? If it's belonging and, and relationship and being loved, receiving love from God and from one another, if this is what changes us, how does this begin to work itself out? And what do, what do we do? We want to get practical with Paul as we do this together. So verses 9 through 12 is a whole collection of just really short kind of just bullet point instructions to a local church community for how they're to change together, to live out a new shared life in Jesus. Remember, change takes time together. So as we look at these instructions, these encouragements from Paul that he gives us, we're going to organize them under kind of three main headings. Again, you could take each one of these little instructions and unpack them. You could do a whole series just on these little uh, short exhortations that Paul gives. But I'm going to group them together under three headings this morning. Um, the first one is this, that, that we have committed presence and then we're going to look at shared practices, and then finally, the Spirit's power. So that's kind of how we're going to group this message. So the practices, the presence, the power, um, you can kind of keep those P's in your mind this morning. So Paul starts this new section of Romans 12 with a command. He says, let love be genuine. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Or as another translations, if you're looking at uh, NIV or another, you might say, let love be sincere or let love be without hypocrisy. And many Romans experts, people who study this book, who have made their, their career studying out, that love must be sincere, that that is kind of the heading under which all of this other instruction falls. So it's like Paul's saying, big idea here, love, it needs to be genuine, sincere, without hypocrisy. And then let me tell you what that kind of love looks like with everything else I'm going to say. Which makes sense if we saw back at the beginning of the series that, that it, it's love that changes us. That being loved by God and by one another is this powerful engine for change in our lives. It makes sense that Paul says love ought to be genuine, sincere. The experience of giving and receiving love is what leads to lasting change and transformation. And genuine love, this kind of sincere love, this love that's without hypocrisy, it requires committed presence. Uh, you, you can't change over time with others if you aren't committed to one another. A genuine love requires a committed presence to be in relationship over the long haul. And Paul uses this little phrase, one another, three times in this passage this morning, and he's going to use it uh, another five times in the rest of the letter to the Romans. And it also is one of those words, one another, this little phrase that's scattered throughout the whole of the New Testament. And it's so key because nearly every one of Paul's instructions that he gives here is, is plural. He's addressing you all. He's addressing the whole community as a group. You could translate it, this whole passage, with instead of just let love be, let, let all y'all's love. So let me just even read that. Let's, I just want to emphasize that because sometimes we miss that because we don't have a way in English to really clearly differentiate when you're saying you or you're saying a singular you or plural you. So just listen to this. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let, let all your love be genuine. You all abhor what is evil. You all hold fast to what is good. You all love one another with brotherly affection. You all outdo one another in showing honor. You all do not be slothful in zeal. You all be fervent in spirit. You all serve the Lord. You all rejoice in hope. You all be patient in tribulation. You all be constant in prayer. You all contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Paul isn't just pointing to one person and saying, you or you do these things. He's saying, you all 
do these things together. You get the idea. So what's Paul's point here? Well, I think just like there's that old uh, phrase, the saying, cliche, that there's no I in team, Paul is saying there's no I in one another. You know, that that doesn't even, even say that right. It doesn't even grammatically make sense to say I, we don't say I love one another, we say we love one another. One another requires more than one person, requires a group. Not I love one another, we love one another. One anothering requires a we, requires a community. And so if we're going to love one another, that means, yes, I must love you, but you also must allow, I must allow myself to be loved by you, by this community. So it's this mutual thing. Sometimes I think we can also get in this pattern where, I, okay, I'm going re- to give, but I'm going to kind of wall myself off. I'm not going to allow myself to be known. I'm going to allow myself to be loved. I'm not going to allow myself to be served. We need to open ourselves up to being vulnerable with one another, not just, not just giving, not just helping others, but being willing to receive help being willing to receive what it is that we, we need from others. Again, change takes time with others. And that's so many stories in our church family, stories of struggle with shame, addiction, and fear. And as people in our church have joined community groups, as they've sought counseling, as they've entered into relationships, how they've been restored and changed as they've joined men's and women's Bible studies, serving teams, watching your life change. Again, not all at once, not in an instance, but over time as you change with others. But when we get practical about this, it's it's not easy, right? And and during writing this message, which because we record, uh, you know, these services ahead of time, I I wrote this message two, three weeks ago. And I was in the middle, I was at my desk, I was writing this, and I got a text message from someone in our congregation who's going through a really hard thing. And said, can we, you know, like, I have some updates for you. It'd be easier to talk on the phone. Can, can we talk right now? Now, keep in mind, I'm writing a message about community, about loving one another, about letting love be genuine, about caring for each other. And I was so tempted in that moment to, I mean, I'm, I'm in a flow of thought. I'm writing. This is flowing well. People are going to be so blown away by what I have to say about love and the community. I can't stop right now. So I was so tempted to text back, yeah, yeah I'd love to talk. Can, we, can I call you later on this afternoon? I was like, Bill, let love be without hypocrisy. Like, you, gotta, like, this, like you're, you need to apply what you're writing right here. So thankfully, the Spirit nudged me in that moment, and I I stopped what I was doing, pushed the keyboard aside, and I made the phone call. It was such an important call to make for one. And you know what? I don't know how helpful I was to that person on the phone. We talked. um, We processed together. I prayed. I, I don't know how much I helped in that moment for them. But you know, I received in that moment from that call much more than if I had pushed that off and ignored. I, I needed that conversation in that moment. So this is the thing. We've got to show up for one another. And in our, our culture of individualism and our culture of task orientation and getting things done and, and productivity, it can be so easy it can be so easy to push off relationships, to, to text at the last minute to a community group and say, you know, I'm not going to be able to make it tonight. And granted, there's things that come up. 
someone gets sick, someone gets exposed to COVID, whatever, you, you, where you have to cancel at the last minute, of course. But so often, those moments of cancellation are really just because we got some stuff we need to get done, we stayed up too late the light, night, night before, whatever. We want to push into this, be committed to one another, outdo one another in showing love, honoring one another with your commitment and consistency and follow-up, agreeing to do what you, you, you say you're going to do and then doing it. That consistent, committed presence makes the difference. And look, I, I know that kind of presence looks a lot different in the global pandemic moment, right? We, we used to crowd around, you know, a big dining room table and all share a meal together, maybe at community group, and maybe we're not doing that. Like that. Maybe we're out in the backyard. I don't know what we're going to do when it gets really bitterly cold. What, what's it going to look like? It requires a new kind of creativity for committed presence. It was at our community group leader huddle a few weeks ago, and I loved how, hearing how people were doing those different kinds of things, whether it was backyard gatherings or men and women together or continuing to do Zoom calls, but finding out ways of doing this committed presence, even in the midst of this time. And that's why I love how Eugene Peterson, in the message paraphrase, actually he translates verses 12 and 13 this way. I think this is so good. He says, don't quit in hard times. We need that message, don't we? Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. And then I love this, verse 13, help needy Christians be inventive in hospitality. Be inventive in hospitality. I love that language of inventiveness. It's all about having the, the ability to design or create new things or to think originally. Be inventive in hospitality. When you can't meet in person, meet on Zoom. When you, when you can't be inside, meet outside. Uh, maybe you, you are just, it's a phone call, right? I think in a lot of ways, especially early on the pandemic, we all discovered that actually our phones actually do make phone calls. I, I've made more phone calls, actual phone calls in the last five months than I probably have in the last year. It's just a way to connect and hear someone else's voice, to check in on someone, how they're doing. Write a note, send a car, drop off food, have a virtual uh, happy hour or meal together. Be inventive in hospitality and help needy Christians. That's that idea of, of helping everyone and everyone who's in need. You all, as the church, are doing that, but I want to remind us that, that neediness is not even primarily about material needs of, of money or food. It's also about the need for relationship of being cared for and known, and there are needy Christians in our church, not necessarily materially, but emotionally, in need, who are in isolation, loneliness, it's a need of connection and presence. And maybe you just think this week, who in my circle at church? Of course, we don't know all, every single one of us don't know every single one of the other ones really well, but who do you know at church? Have you seen them lately? How are they doing? Maybe just take a moment and think, who at church would I always say hi to? Or who at community group haven't I seen in a while? Or who was I in that men's or women's study with? I wonder how they're doing. A simple text can be used by the Holy Spirit Sometimes to pull someone out of a place of loneliness or despair on a, on a day. You may not know what they're going through when your text message comes in, when their phone rings. And also, let me say too, if you have material needs, if you don't know how you're going to pay the mortgage or the rent, you're not sure how you're going to get the utility bills or the food on the table, we're here as a church family to help one another in that. We have resources available. So don't, it's okay to be in need. It's what the body of Christ is designed for. 
So be inventive in hospitality. Help one another in neediness of every form, relationally, materially, all of it. So that's this idea of, of committed presence. Then, then this shared practices. Again, we share, uh, we change over time with one another through committed presence and also through this idea of shared practices as we watch and practice this life of obeying and following Jesus together. Again, when you look at Jesus, how he formed the 12 disciples, it wasn't a matter of him giving them a, a, an online course that they sort of took from a distance and uh, completed some quizzes and now they were formed as disciples. And they spent time together watching Jesus, learning from him how you do this life. Life, and we change and grow and learn together. Again, in this moment of a global pandemic, which eventually will be over, but that looks different, but we learn how to live this life from one another. Those who have been doing it longer, who are more mature in the faith, can, can show you by their example of what it looks like to pray, how to study the Bible, wh- what wisdom and discernment looks like in different situations. We practice these things together, of, again, of Bible study, prayer, of these core disciplines, but also we learn to fast together, to have discernment together, wisdom. What do I do in, in this situation? How do I approach this relationship, this issue at my job? We practice discernment together, and there's a transformative power that you can't get on your own, or even within your, your sort of nuclear family, because some of us have, you know, been sort of at home and all that. We are not isolated in this one sense, because we have our, our spouse or a roommate, or kids, or, you know, people living with us in our space. We need a broader community than that, because we don't have all the spiritual gifts right there in our home. But the shared practice that Paul spends more time on here in this passage than any other is describing this practice of of non-retaliatory love of enemies. He spends quite a bit of time talking about not taking revenge, letting God be the one, serving and loving your enemies instead of hindering them, hurting them. And I think Paul spends the most time on that here, because I think it's the one that's the hardest to do. And I think it requires the most practice together. Uh, Dallas Willard, who um, passed away a few years back, but was a brilliant philosopher, wrote a lot on Christian life and discipleship, Dallas said, the mark of a mature disciple is a follower of Jesus who is spontaneous response to an enemy is love. Dallas really said that if you're spontaneous, your knee-jerk reaction to an enemy is to love them. That's when you, you know that you're growing into maturity as a disciple of Jesus. So, so listen again to verses 17 through 21. And I, I want us to listen with, listen with fresh airs in light of this idea of loving your enemy. This is the message paraphrase, just again, to let us hear it with fresh, airs, or fresh ears here. Verse 17. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll be the judge, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us if you see an enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, give him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil doing good. That sort of response to enemies is so unnatural to us that it requires lots of shared practice. It requires lots of examples of looking at other people in the community who are doing that and learning together what it looks like to love those who feel like they're not on our side who are enemies. And again, an enemy is simply anyone who feels like they aren't on your side in that moment. So it's not just enemies who are out there somewhere who are on the other side of the political spectrum or, or something like that. It's, it's the people in your house 
at your job, you know, in the Target parking lot, wherever it might be, when you feel like someone is not on my side, they're in the category of, of an enemy. Is your response to the person who just took your spot in the parking lot, to your child who is being super frustrated, and your coworker who let you down, is it one of love or something else? When those at church or in your community group are, are not on your side, there's times when that happens. And again, we're all broken, sinful people. So there's going to be times when people sitting in this room are going to feel like they're not on my side. How do we respond? The, our response in those moments reveals more about our character in Christ than just about anything else. I love how Jim Wilder puts this in his outstanding book, Renovated. He says, healthy spiritual maturity requires exercise. He kind of induces uh, this metaphor of exercise. He says, we exercise by actively attaching to our enemies with love. Churches that grow disciples constantly test their attachment skills in moments when people are not on our side. He says, the church has done the most damage exactly at this point as well. When we try to win, we lose. But when we learn to attach with love, we mature. We stick with others as God sticks with us. In Christian community, we practice being together, loving one another, even when people feel like they're not on our side, even when it feels like they're against us. Change takes time with others. It's committed presence, shared practices, and finally, what is necessary for all this to happen is the Spirit's power. Look at verse 11. Now, many English translations, including the English Standard Version, which is what, you know, I have here, what's in our, our, our pew Bibles, and, and sometimes people ask, you know, what is the best translation? This is a side note. This is not my notes, but I'll just read it. Like, what's the best translation? Uh, which translation should I read? And I will always have learned the answer. Tim Mackey taught me this. Uh, he's, as, as many as you can. I mean, we have such a gift uh, in the English-speaking world in the 21st century to have an abundance of really really high quality Bible translations. So NIV, ESV, NLT, I and mean, there's so many that are good, and they're all going to highlight different things, and sometimes comparing different translations, you start to, to see what the translators are, are wrestling with. So what does it say? In, the, in this translation, ESV, the translate verse 11 like this, do not be slothful in zeal, in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. But there's a question about the spirit there, whether that refers to our human spirit with a, a small s, there, you see that, that's how the ESV is taking it, or to God, the Holy Spirit. And while there isn't a broad consensus, I think there's a strong case for this being made that this is the, the Holy Spirit. This is uh, how Doug Moo, who's one of the top scholars on, on Romans uh, who's alive today, translates verse 11. He says, in zeal, do not be lazy, be set on fire by the Spirit, serve the Lord. And I think Moo is right. We need the power of the Spirit to encourage us, empower us, and sustain us in the long-term hard work of changing together. And because human community by itself is like this. Let me, I, this is the best analogy I could think of. I think human community by itself, because there's lots of human communities out there, right? You have your, your community at work or school or your, your sports team or your neighborhood. Like there's all kinds of different human communities out there. And human community by itself is a really good thing. But human community by itself, it's, it's just like a two liter bottle of Coke. Oh, stay with me. But there's only one community that can change you into Christ-likeness. Any community that you're a part of is going to change you, inevitably. The school you go to, the neighborhood, it's like that community is going to change you, but there's only one community that can change you into Christ-likeness. 
And that's the community that's empowered by the Spirit. Okay, so why the bottle of Coke? <laughs> well, ordinary communion community is just like that bottle of Coke. But the church is like a bottle of Coke that has the Mentos dropped into it. <laughs> you don't know what I'm talking about. You can Google Mentos and Coke. But right, like you drop those Mentos candies into the bottle of Coke, and there's this effervescent explosion. There's a power that is released. And it's a chemical reaction that happens. The church community empowered by the Spirit is like that. It has the power, to, the Spirit in working amongst us to release a transforming power that no other human community, mere human community has. Okay, so let me end here. Let me conclude with this. We are designed to change over time together, empowered by the Spirit. And if you're currently part of a community like that, a community group, a men's study, a women's study, a prayer group, you're serving on one of our teams, let me just say to you in this moment, don't give up. Continue to press into that. Even when community group is hard, tired of the Zoom thing, or it's whatever it is, don't give up. Keep pressing into those. You need those relationships now more than you ever have. Keep going. Don't give up on being inventive in hospitality. Keep finding ways to love one another, to serve one another, be together. Also, if you're not a part of that yet, or maybe you're brand new, I mean, some of this is your first time here this Sunday, and you're like, I, I don't even have that. I just moved here from another city, moved here from another state. We're going to have new community groups forming soon, so reach out to us. We'd love to help get you connected. Maybe there's a men's group or a women's study that you could join, something to connect you. Again, you need it now more than ever. And let me just close with a story of someone who did just that. Uh, there's a couple in our church uh, who joined uh, Christ Community during the pandemic. Uh, and when they moved here, uh, we weren't even meeting in person. Their names are Caleb and Suji. I think I've got a picture of them. Uh, they're actually sitting here in this room. You can say hi to them afterwards. They gave me permission to share their story. But Caleb and Suji here to Kansas City uh, from Denver, like right as the stay-at-home orders were starting. So it's like they, they show up here and everything shuts down. But I, I love their tenacity as followers of Jesus. They said, we're not going to let that stop us from getting connected to a church. And so they started looking at services online, different churches, and they, they found Christ Community and the Brookside Campus. They said, we're going to be a part of this. And you could say, oh, that's really cool. Like they started watching services online. No, they didn't just do that. They reached out to us and said, hey, we've been a part of watching your services online. We want to get in a community group. Like, they've never been in this room before. They've never been in this building before. They've never been a part of a service in person. Like, we want to be a part of a community group. So we're all right. And we connect them into a group. And then on our very first Sunday that we were back in person, they, they showed up here at church in person. But I, I love their passion to say community, the church community is so vital. Even when we're not meeting, we are not going to, it would have been so easy for them to be like, yeah, this is a new city, new place. We got to get settled in our house. We'll just take a minute to find a church. God's going to understand. It's a pandemic. <laughs> and, and he would have understood, I think. But I love that they were committed to finding a community, to being a part of it. And it's just, I, I mean, we've never had someone who's joined a community group before they had come <laughs> to a service in person. But I love that that was their story. That's what followers of Jesus do change takes time with others. I just pray that the Spirit would empower each of us to that sort of committed presence with Jesus and his people. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that you have given us the gift of this community. I do pray that you would empower us, would each of us individually 
be yielded to your spirit so that collectively we can obey these commands, these one another's, and be the kind of transforming community that you've created your church to be. Help us to be committed to one another, to learn from one another in these shared practices. We ask this in Jesus' name.